0: The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money.
1: This is Paul Rudy with Paul Rudy's On The Money Radio Show. I'm here with my regular guest, Dr. Fred Gertz. Dr. Fred, good to see you. Good to be here. And uh, certified financial planner professional, Ryan Ripko. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Did you go to breakfast with our Dimensional Fund Advisor guy
2: today? I did. I got a good start. (laughs) Okay,
1: good. Maybe you have some things you can share on the radio. I have enough coffee in me. Maybe I do. That's true. Call in with your questions to 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. You can also email your questions to talk at com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's an eventful couple of weeks. I did uh, happen to meet the football coach last night at a little event um and uh josh whitman was there as well and i'm ready to declare that i think we got the right football coach now i admittedly (laughs) i don't can't remember when our basketball coach brad underwood came that was four or five years ago and (laughs) i'm so bad at basketball my brothers used to make fun of me and say you do see the basket right (laughs) so that's how much i know about basketball but after i heard him speak i told my friends i go i think we got the right guy i think he's going right. to do it and he, i think most people would say that he's been a big success i kind of walked away with the same feeling last night about yeah. coach brett um it, it took just, uh, just a, a couple like, years for you know, the basketball to
0: rebound and it may take more than uh, one season to do this
1: so i think football is just naturally harder and, yeah. and it takes more time but i'm even to the point i think if if coach Bieleman can't do it i'm not sure you know yeah. other than maybe you can get. Saving to come because he just recruits <laughs> just by his name, you know. Yeah. But you know, I thought that was fascinating and certainly it was it was welcome to kind of hear him get his philosophies, et cetera. Which has nothing to do with the show, I
2: recognize <laughs> fellas, but <laughs> But it's something just, to be excited about for the <laughs> fall, that's for sure. It
1: is and then you get a day like today where it's in the seventies or low seventies, it feels like a fall football Saturday right. to me. And it just made made me think of that. Um, well, I think today we're gonna try to cover a few topics that are on people's minds uh inflation's one of them so we'll do a little bit of a dive there i think bitcoin kind of how it works there's just so much press about it um i haven't talked much about it we haven't on this radio show and the fact that we're talking about it doesn't mean (laughs) i suddenly have changed my thinking about it the pros and cons it's just that it might be something useful for people you know now that they're seeing this basically it's almost as popular as watching the Dow ticker thing go by, it's like how did Bitcoin do today? Right. Um, quite a volatile beast. And then uh and then we'll probably think of some other things to talk about. Maybe we'll even bring in meme stocks into that since there really is a lot of fan about meme stocks, which are basically stocks that you know get mentioned right. on social media, widely promoted right. on overlapping yeah. lines. You've already media. said that
0: uh financial institutions will sell anything. <laughs> and I, I just read a couple of days ago that there are now some uh exchange traded funds that uh, specialize in these uh, weird stocks yeah, that are stocks. Uh, are supported by no underlying we always say that the uh, the value of a stock should approach its uh, discounted future earnings yeah. and, and in that case these stocks are worth should be worth practically nothing but they're uh, obviously uh, supported by all kinds of weird happenings but the point is that the uh, financial community wants to capitalize on this and start selling them to people
1: yeah, I do have a cynical view of Wall Street, I guess. Uh, I think they just pander to people's emotions. And though, if, if people, I just look at Wall Street as kind of like the Jack Kevorkian of finance. It's kind of like, well, if you really want to kill yourself, we'll help you do it. Um, and that, that might be too cynical, but after 38 years, that's kind of my takeaway. I just don't, I don't trust the financial media. I'm, I'm not like Donald Trump. I don't think it's the fake media, but, you know, just what they're saying is not fake, but so often it's wrong. Uh, and backwards and, and it's sensationalized usually at big turning points when people want to They're going to make the biggest mistakes at the biggest time But
0: yeah, the uh, the assumption with the, the meme stocks is that uh, these really smart people will know when the uh, bubble is going to burst And they'll get out just before that and there's no particular reason to believe they have that kind of uh, ability
2: Yeah, certainly And I think when when we always talk about like um, the financial media and they have one goal and that goal is to keep eyes on the TV or sure or eyes on their paper or magazine. So they have different goals than an investor does. So anytime you have that you know, mismatch or misalignment, you're going to have issues. Because if you think, well, if I, if I believe you know, whoever I'm listening to on the radio or on the TV that this is the absolute worst time in the world and you got to get out now, it's like I'd be crazy not to, to potentially flee to freedom. Um, and you kind of get that fight or flight. And you have to decide who do you choose to believe in in those kinds of moments of turmoil.
1: Yeah, and which makes it tough for investors, I think. Uh, you know, when there's a markets and turmoil on right. CNBC, usually marks pretty close to a bottom by the time they – I always wait for a markets in yeah. turmoil show. But you're uh, talking about the
0: financial incentive. Uh, Gene Fama, who's one of your right. uh, background kind of uh, gurus, I think uh, someone asked a question, how come uh, at the University of Chicago when you teach uh, passive investment and so on and the, the difficulties with active investment, how come all your – uh, MBAs go out and become active managers,
1: and obviously said they, that's where the money is. It is where the money is. I mean, imagine uh, if on your financial show on TV, the 24-hour news, if you know they run that ticker tape, you know, in yeah. every 30 or 60 seconds, that shows the main indices, you know, the S and P 500, et cetera, the Dow. Suppose it said. You know, every uh, say like a Surgeon's General warning. You know, every ninety seconds, it has to say nothing that happens in the next thirty minutes is going to have any meaningful m- impact on the rest <laughs> of you, the next thirty years of your life. Um, and so, you know, it's it's not in the, it's not in their incentive to to do that. And these meme stocks, of course, by their very nature, they're viral. They get taken over virally on the internet. And it's interesting. The first one people uh, might remember was GameStop. You know, one day it's worth four dollars, and the next day the price is you know twenty or thirty or forty times higher. I'm exaggerating a bit, but not only in time frame. Uh, recently, it's been AMC, the movie chain, mm. and you know one day they're worth a billion dollar market cap, and a few weeks later, twenty five billion. I mean, one of those two numbers is wrong, <laughs> uh, but it's probably closer to the billion than the twenty five. So, is it just guys? Is that just a uh, we're going to just get on this trend of momentum, and hopefully that. You know, tomorrow there'll be someone who'll pay more money for it than than I paid today.
0: Yeah, it appears to be uh, a kind of uh, quasi-bubble, except that there's no reason to not like the Most bubbles, people believe that uh, the the price of ostriches or tulip bulbs or whatever is going to keep going up forever. I don't think anyone believes that uh, people are going to flock back to movies and keep going more and more and more. So it's supported by this kind of uh, underground of people – reinforcing each other and again I think most uh, cynical people would say that, that can't continue forever it's gonna come to an end
1: and usually those types of things come to ugly ends uh, and 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 I'll be surprised if it doesn't I mean like I, as I mentioned Ryan I see in your notes AMC back in May was ten dollars a share in June recently is about sixty dollars a share up 600 percent so yeah. uh, and then when we go back to GameStop on January 1st it was 17 to 18 dollars a share by the end of Janu- January, it was three hundred and almost three hundred and fifty dollars a share. Mm. So that's what going viral happens, but it detaches from what's yeah. what's really the expected return on the yeah. stock, and, and a re- nobody knows the right price. Right. But probably, if you got a hundred really smart people in the room that do this for a living, it's not going to be that different. You know, it's, the dispersion is right. not going to be that wide. But it's a new
0: phenomenon because the. Uh, the uh, smart money managers and hedge funds and so on saw this and say this can't continue and they bet against it and they they lost because they couldn't hold out long enough to.
1: Do you think uh, maybe they overplayed their hands, the big boys, and they and they were just, sure? I mean, they, they I drove they, it down to like a GameStop, you know, to almost nothing, and yet they kept short that stock. You yeah. would think, well, hey, you, you know, we, we rode this down from yeah. fifty to five bucks a share, right? And when you're short, that's a good thing. Yeah, it seems like they might. But have I been. think they thought that the. Uh, would go the, away the uh, weirdness on the
0: uh, on the web would uh, eventually uh, uh, wither away, but it hasn't so far. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's the most like interesting thing about this whole thing, and you you call it a phenomenon. I was going to say the same thing, Doctor Gertz. It, it really is kind of like this unique, weird event where the decentralized, what you would ra- you know called rather not knowledgeable trained investor, just the you know the Joe Blow on the street buying a, a handful of stocks on Robinhood or another trading account they got together organized through a social media platform and toppled some of the most mm. you know highly trained and respected people in Wall Street and it's a really interesting thought to think wow the little guy kind of took on Goliath and you know for the short term anyway seems to have kind of made a big dent if not one right um, it's by no means any <laughs> indication of something you should do or you should buy into it has no no importance there. It's just an interesting event to observe and, and to reflect on.
1: Think about the last year and a half and think about young people versus uh, seasoned investors who've been through three or four or five decades. How different of a world they lived over the past year and a half. Uh, a lot of them were stuck at home. They did all these day trading. You know really, it's kinda like it's not your grandfather's stock market anymore. Right. You know, they, 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 there's this kind of a mentality that's been embraced that the old ways are the old ways. This is how you manage your wealth is by buying meme stocks and yeah. buying Bitcoin and you're buying these other yeah. forms of cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think, you know, our our thoughts of stocks have an expected return of probably yeah. somewhere around 10% a year uh, would seem like a money market fund to them. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think it's just, it, I just think it's gonna be different for, for these. Well, I there's know, gonna be you, some valuable lessons Expensive lessons are learned in the next few years. If you go guess. back
0: 10, 20 years, I don't think there are many uh, people who made it in day trading back in the mm-hmm. 90s or the early 2000s. I mean, that's a, it, it works when it works, and then when it stops working, it's really disastrous. So I don't think this is going to be a new – suddenly people are going to be uh, investing in this as a bread-and-butter kind of uh, – outlet so again I think
1: but if you but if you hit one or two of these things just right yeah as a young person that's going to define your view of what investing is right and like you said when the momentum's momentum's there and it's going viral now uh, it makes day trading and that type of thing quite easy all you have to do is just be long and you won't be wrong right Uh, but then the world the universe comes back to order and then that you know this idea of people day trading uh, it's kind of a silly concept, anyway. I'm no. not suggesting that some really smart people might not be able to do it, but I, I don't think I could differentiate between skill and luck. Right. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's it's I think it's just going to be yeah. it's, you know w- what a strange environment for young people that hit one or two or three of these things. Right. They got a million or two million dollars. Their mm-hmm. mom and dad have been working their whole lives. They don't have near that amount, and they've been steadily accumulating right. boring 401k plans and stock mutual funds. Right. Yeah.
0: But it also challenges our uh, belief, if, sure. if someone asked me what's the value of a company, I'd say the market price is a, is the a best estimate of the value of the company, but I'm saying that for uh, AMC or GameStop, that's probably not right, so it goes against the, the idea that the market uh, incorporates all the information and gives you the best uh, best estimate of the value.
1: And when you have these thinly traded stocks or thinly traded assets, and when I say thinly traded, I mean they're just not all that liquid. There's not that much. On a typical day, there's very little activity in the stock because people aren't interested in these yeah. low price stocks until they start moving. Uh, that's, you know, this viral effect. It's real easy to move the price of stock in these thinly traded yeah. stocks. That's why they can go up so See, much. I don't know the
0: answer, but it would be interesting if uh – one of these becomes big enough to be incorporated in the various indices, and <laughs> whether they bring it in at, uh, at the inflated value.
1: And so what you're talking about is like in the S&P 500 index or the Russell 2000 index, yeah. it's probably gonna be in the, in yeah. Russell 2000 index is, is small companies that basically, if you ranked all the stocks on the New York Stock Exchange from the largest stock to the smallest, and that's based on market capitalization, how, how many shares are there outstanding versus the current price? And you ranked them all, and you took the top three thousand. So, yeah. and you eliminate the first thousand. The next, the second, and the third thousand would be the Russell two thousand stocks, and they tend to be smaller companies. That's that's where you would think it would happen. If it yeah, was some
0: uh, companies come and go, and they, right. they don't do it every day. They do it. A couple occasion. times a
1: year, yeah. uh, the Russell 2000, for example, w- do what they call reconstitute, reconstitute the index. They'll say, well, these four or five stocks don't belong any longer, and here's the four or five or six stocks that are going to replace them. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be interesting to see if one of these meme stocks, mm-hmm. like AMC, could suddenly be in the Russell. And maybe it is for all I know, but you know, ABC stock suddenly now that's jumped so much in, in this viral price that it could be included. You yeah. had hoped... That these boards on these mutual funds or these index funds would say, "eh, well, I don't think we're going to add that." <laughs> yeah, no. But it's it's a it's an interesting phenomenon to say the least, and and I, I I think the lessons are going to be tough. Or, was, or are we just old? Or I'll just be no. Myself, I mean, or I am guess, I just uh, an old crony that's saying, "Oh, he, maybe I just don't uh, get it," but well, I do get math.
0: No, I think the uh, I guess I'm looking for the future, and obviously, uh, who knows? But I think they're going to learn a another lesson, not that. that this is the way to rich it this is the way to not mess yourself up over a period of time i mean there'll be a few people if you have a thousand uh day traders and uh, probably a few of those will quit ex- exactly the right time right. and they'll become the experts but the 98 percent who don't quit at the right time are going to be busted at some point
1: yeah it's just the way when you just if you just step back and understand how markets work stocks have an expected return right the, you, you, if you buy a, a into a stock or a stock index what you're basically owning is a certain percentage share of all their future profits earnings dividend streams etc so you can work that backwards and say okay stocks generically have an expected return and it's has a higher expected return than bonds generically because bonds pay a lower they're safer so they pay lower rates to their investors and therefore in that universe stocks have higher expected returns than bonds and bonds have higher expected returns than cash that's just the way the universe works um but again if you if you're if you formed your investing psyche during the last year and a half it may it may interfere with long term yeah. success yeah, or but if if, if so you will get so filthy rich that
0: but if you try to impute the uh expected return from uh to AMC based on their current stock price it would be uh, it,
1: uh it's you know it's a disaster uh, coming
2: yeah, somebody had done a little bit of math on it, and it could have just been like, you know, very generic. But it said like basically for the for the math to work out at the price that AMC is currently currently trading at, they all AMC theaters across the entire world only have to be full from the moment they open to the moment they close, with an average ticket price of like thirty dollars plus, <laughs> and having concessions in the similar neighborhood <laughs> of like twenty dollars per person that comes. And so it seems reasonable. And they were saying that tongue, tongue in cheek, of or, course, like yeah. There, there's no way that the actual valuation is supported by anything other than this phenomenon, yeah. that people are propping up the price and trying to topple the yeah. Wall Street. But it, it challenges us, though, because exactly. now we're saying
0: uh, most stocks,
2: we, we believe right. the, the
0: market, but a few stocks we don't believe the market, and we have to <laughs> distinguish yeah. between those. Sure, mm-hmm.
1: uh, but that's, I think it's reasonably done, don't yeah. you think, sure. when, when a stock goes up, based on viral momentum, um, Yes, I think in a pure sense, you'd say, well, that's uh, the overlapping minds are are suggesting that. But in some cases, it takes so few overlapping minds to drive a thinly traded stock price up that, you know, I bet Warren Buffett looks at these things and just sees them as a huge mistake and doesn't understand them. Well, then let's talk about Bitcoin. Uh, And again, my, my thoughts of bringing up Bitcoin is not to promote it one way or another, not to pour cold water on it, just... I think everybody's feeling this uh, almost like fear of missing out is is my sense of it. And so I thought we'd talk about, well, what is it to begin with? Um, So anybody can, you know, give their spin on it. I have my spin. I think it's more about blockchain, uh, you know, technology and transactions. And basically it's just, you know, to me, it's the ability to have these overlapping ledgers all across the world. That are transparent they're decentralized they're not controlled by any one person and it's a way basically to verify that we don't have bad actors and so if we do a transaction it can be verified and secure in its simplest sense so the blockchain to me is exciting
2: yeah and i think it's really important to differentiate bitcoin from blockchain because i think it easily gets commingled as bitcoin is blockchain blockchain is bitcoin it's the way I think about it, um, and I don't ever hold myself out to be an expert by any means, um, but blockchain is the technology, it's the infrastructure, and then Bitcoin is the the transaction that works on the infrastructure. So Bitcoin's one form of payment medium, there's other payment mediums, just like we have US denominated dollars there's the euro, there's you know, the Bolivar, there's any uh different um form of payment based on different country. So there's different competing uh coins out there. And the technology is what fascinates me more so than the particular coin, the Bitcoin. Um, So maybe we start kind of like untangling that web, um, talk about blockchain and how did blockchain originate and what is it. And then we can talk about Bitcoin on top of it.
1: Yeah, the way I understand it, and again, I'm, I'm trying to give it a broad brush and people could certainly disagree with my theories of how it all works. But I think fundamentally I have a pretty good grasp for it. Again, it's just a, it's a ledger system started by a guy, I think started around 2008 or 2009, essentially a software that thousands of computers have. And it's about, cre- you know, what we're trying to do is put a block of these secure transactions together and then allow them to all clear. Well, in order to do that, let's, uh, the best, best way I can do it is to give an example. Suppose Ryan has 10 bitcoins and he wants to give his 10 bitcoins to me. Okay, So he gets on the, the message system and says, hey, I have 10 Bitcoins and I want to give these to Paul. Now, it doesn't automatically happen right at that point. It kind of goes into a waiting room, if you will. And then that's where these data miners come in. And the data miners come in. It, they, they want to do, and again, there's thousands of them competing, to solve this extensive mathematical puzzle that over time gets harder and harder, uh, you know, it gets harder and harder over time. So the incentive for me to try to put together these blocks of transactions is to solve that computational mathematical uh, problem, which is very difficult. And there's a race to do this. And whoever solves it first gets to put that block of transactions together and then the transaction's clear. And essentially their compensation for that is 6.25 Bitcoins. So to me, the blockchain is a technology, but it needs, in order to – ultimately create the 21 million Bitcoins that they're going to ultimately produce. It's all about solving this mathematical equation. And then you have a new ledger clearing and the person gets Bitcoin. And it's think about six Bitcoins roughly is 200, maybe 225 to 250,000 at current price. So there's a lot of incentive. And over time, like in 2024, the equations are going to get harder and you'll only get 3.125 so there's there's a defined amount that's going to be done
0: that's the way it you you control the amount obviously correct but the the question is what if there's some breakthrough in computer technology and you can suddenly do it uh, twice as fast i mean there are all kinds of
1: so uh, that's one of the things that i'll get to um but once so you wonder like well how do they know that Paul uh, Ryan has 10 bitcoins that everybody's looking at the same transparent ledger So they can verify quickly that you do have those 10 bitcoins that are available to give to Paul uh, and then you know once it's cleared and you know the world moves on as you so That's the, kind of my simple version of and it's going to be fascinating because I Can create a contract I can say I'm going to give Ryan 10 bitcoins when he finishes redoing my kitchen and Fred has to tell me that Ryan is complete once it does, so I can create these contractual. Or I could say I'm going to l- give each of my children 20 bitcoins when they turn 30 each, which is kind of like a trust. So that's, this is where I think it's going to be fascinating. I liking and everybody's got their theories on where this is going tomorrow. I liking it back to 1990 or so when we were first entering the Internet era. And everybody's trying to theorize about what it's going to look like in the future, which I think is fraught with disaster, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody 20 or 30 years ago sat around and said, you know, I think there's gonna be a smartphone someday and I think people are going to get on that smartphone and rent rooms in a house instead of going to a motel. Right? So I've always said these technologies always bring more you know, good things than people could even imagine but most people will not profit from them. That's, right. that's kind of been the experience of life. So to me, that's what's exciting about it. So what's, what are the downsides? Well, it's very volatile. I mean, some people, guys, are suggesting that this is just another form of currency, and it is, and that somehow it's going to maybe replace the dollar or be mm-hmm. used in a sense just like the dollar. But when it's, you know, it's not unusual, you know, the volatility for it to be up 100% or down 50% is not unusual at all. I think that takes it out of the using it for a currency. Yeah, currency.
0: The- uh, going back to uh, principles of economics, uh, uh, a currency is supposed to be a, a medium of exchange where you can buy and sell things using it. It's also a store of value, mm-hmm. and finally, a, a unit of account to measure things. Well, it's it's not a very good unit of account if it very you know if it doubles or or, or halves in just a couple days. Mm-hmm. And again. Uh, uh, it's a a good store of value if it's going up but it's not a very certain store of value and originally it was supposed to be uh, an exchange where you go any place in the world and rent a hotel and play with the Bitcoin but now the major uses seems to be uh, paying ransoms, uh, (laughs) evading taxes, things of that sort so the uses of it have have become sort of specialized in these kind of uh, dubious activities so again there's not much good to say about it except if you got in early and Got lucky it's a, a good deal, but that's not probably the future.
1: Isn't it just another – I mean, it does not have an expected return. Just like a dollar bill does yeah. not have – in your wallet does not have an expected return. That is, it, there. there is no reason to think you have a future claim on more dollars in the future from this dollar in my wallet. It's, I think Bitcoin would be the same way. Well, yeah, except that
0: uh, people don't expect the value of the dollar to go up incrementally. But they, they do, the, the expected return on Bitcoin is the appreciation, and again, that's obviously – uh, completely just, speculative.
1: And that's just exactly. supply and demand. That's not, yeah. there is no right. expected right. return. It doesn't produce income. It right. doesn't produce anything. It's much like gold. Yeah. Uh, there, there is no expected return on gold, right. uh, but you could become fabulously wealthy if you hit it and gamble yeah. just right. And you could, you know, you could be at yeah. your family's peril if you do it wrong.
0: Yeah. There's another example from uh, history. People arguing for paper currency, say it's is, is stupid to uh, send people down in mines to, Uh, get gold and risk their lives and spend huge amounts of money. Uh, And all it does is become currency. You might as well just have a paper dollar that's fixed and uh, keep it under control and avoid that work. Well, the same thing is turning out to be true for for Bitcoin. You're spending huge amounts of resources to to mine it, but there's nothing being created by that mining except the scarcity.
1: Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the exciting part, again, getting back to that is, you know, if I in April of nine of uh, two thousand nineteen, someone moved one hundred and sixty-two thousand Bitcoin. It's like a billion one. Yeah. Basically, almost instantly, and it costs somewhere like sixty-eight cents. Yeah. To do that transaction, contrast that. If I wanted to do an international wire, it may take one to two days, and it may cost one to eight percent to do that. If the bank's open, mm-hmm. and so you can see why the blockchain part of this is exciting. But like I said, downside is there is no expected return to Bitcoin. Uh, it's not really that good for carrying around and buying cars and stuff because you might have enough to buy it at 10 o'clock in the morning and then by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, all of a sudden it's not worth as much and you can't buy the car. And as you said, you hit something I, I think very few people have thought of. As these technologies get better, like one of the claims to fame for Bitcoin is we're only going to make twenty, produce 21 million of them and that's it there could be an awful lot of other currencies that are just as good or similar that makes it almost as if there really isn't this limit on these currencies. So I'm not here to try to... And then one thing, Ryan, I thought of uh, the other day is I suppose after enough time goes by, there may be enough peer-reviewed studies that say Mm -hmm. it might be a good diversifier in a portfolio. Now, if I was thinking about adding it to a portfolio, I'd say, okay, what is the percentage of all the Bitcoin added up compared to all the other asset classes like stocks versus bonds versus cash. And it would be a very, very tiny part of a market-weighted portfolio. But from an investment theory, I got to thinking about this, that it might, I could see it being useful to the extent that it does behave differently than a lot of other asset classes. It is very volatile, but that can work in your favor if it's volatile at different times. So much like, you know, a fair coin flip, if i add that to my portfolio if i get a dollar this year if it's pot, if it's a heads and i get a i lose a dollar if it's tails at the end of the year there is no expected return to that but we know that by adding that into a portfolio there is a slight amount of diversification benefit just because it behaves so much differently i think if that if it goes to mainstream you know portfolio theory building it's going to come from a diversification benefit standpoint not a So if somebody said, Paul, how do you decide whether if you have just a U.S. market portfolio, how do you decide to add another asset class? And I say, well, it has to have one of two conditions. It has to have an expected return. that is sufficiently higher than my current portfolio. And so just by adding it, it increases the return. Or, and if it's both, it's wonderful. Or it behaves so differently than what I currently own. It gives me some diversification benefits. Some things will do both. And the only one that that one would work for is that it may behave differently from a portfolio.
2: And I think right now the problem is we're all hitting on is we don't have enough time and data to make these kinds of conclusions yet. Right now it's in the phase of its life where it's really just purely speculative. People are getting in on the excitement of the new technology, the maybe the prospects for many of striking gold and getting rich and then selling at a time presumably in the future where it's worth a lot more than it is today. And so anytime you have these kinds of new um, things, then you, you see a lot of, like, what we call dumb money rush in, just someone trying to get to that, you know, that strike it rich, win the lotto kind of event. Um, once we have more data, we can actually see how it does over time in a lot of the speculation Buying kind of slows down and we see a little bit more of just kind of a stabilization That's when the data becomes a little bit more useful right now It's just way too noisy to make any inferences on like as an asset class itself.
0: Also the uh, the value of a a purported value may be undermined. Uh, There's like a cat-and-mouse game Uh, Someone comes up with some way of doing things that, that works to their advantage Someone else figures out a way to stop that. Well, I think now People are, are trying to figure out ways, governments and so on, to, to deal with the uh, secrecy of Bitcoin or, or mm-hmm. Bitcoin-like kind of activities. And just recently, uh, I don't know how they did it, but they recovered a certain amount of, of ransom payments. Uh, that the Colonial could, you know, Pipeline? Yeah.
1: So, you know, the Justice Department last year, this is according to the Wall Street Journal article, it, and, the, and the title uh, was, Untraceable Bitcoin is a myth, is a Myth how could the FBI recover 2.3 million of the pipe? Because I, I was making my head explode trying to figure out how they yeah. do that. But again, I, I admit it, I'm a novice in this. Yeah. I don't understand, you know. It doesn't appeal to me enough to research it. Other than I think, if a client asked about it, I yeah. don't think he, I could just backhand it and say, oh, it's a silly yeah. idea, I, I just don't think that's fair. So I had to educate myself as much as I could. But according to this article, it said, how did they recover the 2.3 million? It said, uh, it is, uh, isn't Bitcoin the cryptocurrency in which payment was made supposed to be untraceable? It says actually, no, Bitcoin is anonymous, but it's far from private and important, but often overlooked. Distinction department recovered more than what the U.S., the Justice Department recovered more than a billion dollars in Bitcoin in various investigations during the 2020 trade. Uh, so I think, I think that, uh, I thought that was interesting. People might want to go look at that article to educate themselves. Basically, it says, when criminals need to spend their Bitcoin or convert it to conventional currency, the final transaction de-anonymizes the participant and usually triggers the jurisdiction of one or more government agencies. Once uh, once criminals transfer their coins into an exchange wallet, investigators have what they need to freeze, ultimately claim those assets. So again, I think it looks like there's a big distinction that even I was confused about. it, it's 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 anonymous, yeah. but it's far from right. private. I think that. But you're the asking who so who
0: who would benefit from uh, Bitcoin? And obviously, uh, if you go back to uh, Breaking Bad, their, their problem was not they, they were not making money. They didn't know what to do with the money once they had it. So they were going around with barrels of uh, twenty dollar bills. So if you could do that, it would be really great. But that's. Working to the advantage of the uh, the underground. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, we do have a text. It says, "My girls are eleven and seven, and I have two five twenty nine plans set up for them." Well, yeah, congratulations. How much money should or could I? You know, it's both. Should could I be putting in each year uh, for them? Sorry, my reading glasses don't stretch this far. Obviously, I'm hoping they go to college, but there's no guarantees. I also uh, have no clue where they're going to go either. I currently have around 13,000 in one and 6,000 in the other. Well, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainties when it comes to this question, right? Um, Will my children go to college? How many of them? Where will they go? What will it cost? And those are (laughs) uncertain enough, and then you have to try to figure out, how do I fund this great unknown? But where do you start, Ryan, on that?
2: Well, I start from, like... You're, You're doing it for yourself, so... Um, yeah, I'll I'm doing you. it for my boys. So I, I look at it and I say, well, it's a safe place to put cash if I think my kids are going to college. In the event they don't go to college, you can still get your contributions out. Uh, and any growth that is not used um, for the per- you know purpose of higher education or qualifying expenses uh, is penalized at 10%. So it's not like you've put money away, and now it's untouchable if, in this case, the girls, this uh, texter's question, don't go to college. It can also be used for trade schools, which some people don't know. Um, So it's not just like a traditional college or four-year institution. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if this potentially even opens up further in the future, too, to allow broader use of these funds. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, that's opinion. Uh, For the time being, how much do you put away well you know that that's like the big question for everybody I look at it and I say well it's a, a factor of where are the kids potentially going to go do I want to try to fund a in-state public do I want to try to fund an in-state private an out-of-state public out-of-state private etc so you start thinking well what's reasonable well if I try to kind of hit the board in the middle and I think well I want to maybe fund thirty thousand dollars a year which might come today's dollars in today's dollars maybe I want to try to fund thirty thousand dollars a year for four years for each of my two boys um, you know what do I need to put away well the question is well what do I think the inflation of tuition is going to be And, and that ranges widely too which is another terrible variable it, it, to may be, it
1: may be a deflationary it could
2: be right
1: is that strange Fred to even think that college right. education could be lower Ten or fifteen years from now, oh, there there are people are
0: obviously uh, talking about free colleges and free mm-hmm. free community colleges. But also, uh, there's going to start being more pressure on. You know, uh, there's a, a stories now about the uh, regional state universities having difficulty, uh, and you see advertisements for Indiana State and so on. So there's going to be more competition in terms of uh, pricing. And probably, I don't think Harvard and York are going to get into for, a price, for sure. price war, but uh, other other places are so. Yep.
2: So I look at some of these things too, and you have to consider. Well, anywhere between four and seven percent is the the inflation for tuition. However, last year was only about one percent. So we might be seeing a slowdown. Last year was an anomaly year, of course. Uh, I just tried to say I'm gonna. I'm not trying to pick it just right. I'm just gonna try to be sensible. And I know if I wanted to fund roughly thirty thousand dollars a year for four years, I'd need to contribute somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to nine thousand dollars a year into each of those plans which is a very lofty amount for almost anybody to consider because as we talk about with clients and we talk about with people that are just looking for some good advice, you know, you don't wanna forego your own retirement for a short-term college funding need because then you potentially become the one sacrificing yourself for the betterment of your kids, which is always tough because I think as parents and I'm sure both of you will weigh in, you're almost like geared to sacrifice yourself. You you stay up at, late at night. I was up from about 2.30 to 5 this morning with my youngest one. And it's like you're just, it's born into you like, you know what, whatever for my kids, I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, but you have a lot more time to save uh, for retirement because you have a lot longer time to live in retirement. You need about 30 years potentially to, to consider living in retirement versus four years for college. So it it just comes down to you have to be sensible um, that number I gave the eight to nine thousand is based on my estimates, based on my inflation amounts. You could cut that in half. The other the other great advantage too is presumably you're still working when your your daughters, this person's question, are in college. You don't have to save the full amount up front like my eight or nine thousand dollar estimates doing. You can pay some of it while having some being contributed into a five twenty nine each year to reduce the amount you contribute. So there's so many ways to handle this question. Um, and it's not like it's all or none if they don't end up going to college.
1: I, I think it's it's very challenging. You know, if you there's calculators online, you could probably get to and have use reasonable assumptions or talk to a financial advisor. The good news is there's very good vehicles for to take advantage of if you stay on the uh, no co- you know the no load side, uh, the bright start, and uh, and you're eight or nine thousand. Basically, you're looking at a 17 year window. So for this uh, person that taxed, for an 11, 11- 11 and 7-year-old, mm-hmm. that number is going to be much larger. So yeah. there comes a practical point yeah. where you do the best you can do. And, and there, people, are, I think, are confused
0: sometimes about uh, gift tax implications. Those are basically irrelevant for almost everyone. Uh, and, again, so I don't think you have to worry about uh, triggering some bad thing by going too high. You can give $10,000 uh, to a, a, a yeah. student and, it, and get a five. Uh, basically, a five percent discount for the state of Illinois if you go into a state of Illinois plan because it's not only uh, tax deferred, but it's also de- the contribution is deductible from state for, st- for, for state for state tax purposes.
1: Mm-hmm. And other people can contribute on behalf of your children, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot of people. So you sometimes mm-hmm. you know there's there's a little gold mine that we don't even think about it, and you know there's nothing wrong with talking to grandparents and saying don't do not do this though, Ryan, uh, <laughs> and saying, hey, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to do some planning. Um, we don't expect you, mom and dad, to do anything, but if you're thinking about doing anything, if you let us know, we could work that into our planning. And we do have a 529 plan if you want it. You know, it's there and ready if you ever want to. To contribute to it, that's probably a hard ask for most people. But you know, you know, within your own family, whether there's a comfort structure, yeah. right? Uh, and it, I think
0: Ryan's point is really important, though, that uh, you don't have to hit it right on the nose about you don't know whether your uh, child's going to go to a community college or uh, uh, Harvard, and obviously there's no way to know all those things. So again, you don't have to be precise about it. But if you have a chunk of money there to start off with, it's going to be very valuable.
1: Yeah, I think it's more important to be, uh, you know, approximately right than trying to be, you know, or approximately wrong than a you know than precisely right, right or and, wrong or whatever you I know what I mean don't another
2: let, point in that question too is like we don't know where they're going to go with a, most if not probably all 529's it doesn't matter if you have the Illinois 529 they can use those funds out-of-state so it's not like you're constrained to just the state funds or state schools based on your 529 yeah, and legally now
0: uh, you can use it for pre-college uh, the state of Illinois doesn't allow that with right. their, their 529 plans but that's not a good idea to Try to pre fund your child's K through twelve education, but uh, if you wanted to, you could do that.
2: Yeah, and again, to reiterate, you cannot do that in the state of Illinois. So, of course, not. well, you can
0: do it. I think you can do it with an out of state fund. If if you if you
2: have a an out of
1: state, yeah, non- if you had Illinois, an Iowa's five twenty nine yep. plan, then you probably could. But you can't do
2: it with an Illinois sponsored. Right, right. And I just want to make sure all of our <laughs> all our <laughs> listeners know: don't go rushing to use your Illinois five twenty nine plan for private schooling because it's not acceptable
1: but it's it's a wonderful vehicle but you know i think it puts pressure on parents uh trying to balance so many things i think you hit it right take care of retirement first do your best and let's face it you know not every child should go to college Uh, not all of them are entitled to go to expensive schools of course you want your children to have the most (laughs) options you can give them but there's a certain reality to life where you do the best you can. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the go to Parkland College for two years and then on to the University of Illinois. You can save a ton of money. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, one way or another, I think anybody who's determined will get a college education. Is that fair to say or is that just a – Well, I think it's –
0: that's why I – Am I, I biased? They're, I mean, there are people who put themselves in such a hole that it makes it very, mm-hmm. very difficult. But if you the, – the problem, if you are careful and plan and uh, – and, uh, restrain yourself in various ways. I think it's completely true. Yeah. I what I think what it, about the
1: investment side, Brian, as far as how they should be investing? How, what's your approach for your personal? Just, uh, what Which one are you following?
2: For me, I'm I'm in the Illinois 529 plan. I'm using the, um, essentially their target date funds. They're looking at the age of my children and saying based on their age at five and two, they're going to be needing school at 18 for both of those. So it's it's mostly stocks at the young age. Like a high degree in eighty ninety percent of stocks when they're young, and then it gradually shifts to owning less and less stocks the closer it gets to that age eighteen need time frame for spending um, so it gets it gets automatically adjusted by the five twenty nine plan i don't have to go in and tinker i don't have an issue of forgetting um, so I recommend the terminology the aggressive fund is i think such a You know a a bad choice because they're just trying to differentiate it yeah I don't like the wording either uh, I mean it it at first kept me from from wanting to use that because I thought well of course I want to be aggressive with my children's college goal Uh, but I looked at the numbers behind it the difference is if if one uh, fund the moderate fund versus the aggressive fund is about a 10% difference in stock holding so if one the aggressive is 80% stock at that age the one step below at the moderate I think is 70
1: do you use the index version
2: Index fund, yes. version that which is the low cost version. Extreme low cost. I think it's mostly Vanguard funds. Yes. Um, so I mean, Vanguard is like the low cost leader, and really all all I'm trying to do here is just keep the one thing that I can control, cost, in check. And so if I can keep my cost low, that means every cent not spent on cost stays invested and reinvests uh, with no tax provided. Of course, I use it for college need. So it's a great vehicle. Um, I congratulate the listener for for you know, putting the money towards and, and saving for the dollar's future.
1: Anything you do is going to help. Uh, my view of the world, and I've said it here a number of times, I, th- I think the cost of going to college for the, for the children here, 11 and seven year olds, are gonna be lower in the future than it is today. That's, but don't base anything on that. <laughs> That's is Paul's theory, but it makes sense when you have more and more online presence of major universities uh, at a much lower cost. I don't think people are going to care whether you went to a physical four-year college or if you have the degree, or maybe they won't. I don't think as many people are going to care whether you have a college degree or not, frankly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so it's a strange world. You wouldn't have thought about this 20 or 30 years ago. If you drive on I-57, there are a number of signs uh, say how great uh, UIUC is, uh, Urbana-Champaign, and there are an equal number of signs saying how great the University of Illinois at Chicago is, (laughs) so they're competing against the, the, the two parts of the same system are basically competing for students.
1: Well, we don't have a lot of time, we have another seven or eight minutes, but we'll maybe touch on inflation. It's making a lot of headline work. Uh, I have noticed though, guys, in the last week or so, there was a lot of focus on lumber prices tripling. Now they've really come down. A lot of prices of commodities have really come down. And when it comes to commodities, I always say the cure for high prices is high prices. Yeah. In other words, you know, supply is you know directly related to price and demand is inversely related to price. Um, I'm not overly concerned about this. I mean, I know we have year-over-year inflation that's close to 5%, if not right at 5%, but it's coming off of a year. We talked a little bit about this, you know, it it matters where you're measuring it from. But clearly, we're having a little higher bout of inflation that the Federal Reserve wanted to engineer. I think the only sticky part of inflation that I, you know, because when they talk about this transitory thing, is if, yes, the Fed is basically saying, look, we've been trying to get inflation above 2%, maybe we're gonna, maybe we're going to make it it looks like we are but they're saying but it's not going to hang around long it strikes me though a big part of inflation is wages and once wages go up they don't go down in right. other words when we have a recession companies typically don't say hey we need to low, lay off 20 percent of our payroll they usually don't say hey everybody gets a 20 percent pay cut they'll usually let right. a number of people go just because it's mm-hmm. it's it's too demoralizing to lower everybody's. It's right. just the marketplace's way of saying that. But it seems that when price, and that just suggests to me that prices are sticky of of wages, and that's the part that can basically set another high level uh, f- for inflation and cause a little bit of problems. I tend to think about, you know, clients are asking, and people are wondering, should we be concerned, and what should we be doing about it? I said well, first of all, most of our clients, and I think, My view is, if you look at the real hedge for inflation, I don't think there's ever been one that's been handcrafted by the hands of man better than mainstream equities, the ownership of the great companies of America and the world. But in the near term, bouts of inflation can obviously, we know, Fred, historically have caused a problem for the stock market. Between 1967 and 78, the stock market went from, S&P 500 went from 96 to 96, but we had very high inflation so it caused a problem temporarily, but for people that were able to ha- have the faith, patience, and discipline, the next, oh fifteen 15 or 20 years, or the next 12 to 15 right. years, the stock market went up 15-fold. So right. I-, I look at, like, the cure is, I think the cure for inflation in the long, run, over one's lifetime, is a-, a certain amount of your money in the great companies of America and the world. Is that fair? I think so, but again, if you're,
2: you
0: know, like a five or 10-year horizon, that could be... Not enough, but the point is, to get the certainty of uh, of insulating yourself from inflation, you have to give up a lot of other things. There's always this trade-off between maybe returns versus uh, security. It's probably not uh, not a, a major issue at this point. And again, I, I still think there's going to be uh, some temporary inflation. There's, there's stories now about factories not being able to hire people because uh, other, other places, fast food and so on, are paying more. The other thing, which is... Uh, maybe a little bit uh, uncertain right now is that uh, it seems that a lot of people are not going to come back into the workforce. That, uh, a lot of people, obviously, were involuntarily uh, put in the, uh, out, out of the workforce by the COVID situation. But now uh, they're, they're being retarded coming back in by government programs. But in addition to that, some people may simply say, I've been out for a year or two. I'm 63 years old. Why why bother? Why? Yeah, and, and well, so, I think that's so, and clearly may, happening. It, it may make more More pressure on wages. But I think that's only temporary as long as the the government doesn't uh, validate it through the the
1: Fed. I think this always circles back to why it's good to have a financial advisor and a financial plan because, you know, I always think of the part of planning as not just your investment portfolio, but, you know, what you're going to need to do if you experience unexpected events. And you're going to do that. Now, it may be inflation, it may be deflation. I think any plan has to be considerate of that we are going to have unexpected events. I mean, we always talk about the expected return of investments, but what we end up getting is the unexpected return. And, you know, when I stress test things through historical periods, and we've had deflation and inflation, I, I always come back to, for most people, heading into a two to three decade retirement, they're going. you need to really have a, an asset structure that protects against both potentials, deflation and inflation. Bonds can – short-term bonds can, uh, you know, uh, hedge you against inflation because they're repricing all the time with interest rates. Longer-term bonds can hedge you against deflation. Stocks are a good long-term hedge for – historically for Mm deflation – for inflation. I don't know about deflation. Uh, It's usually pretty bad. I think when I think of deflation, Fred, I think of 1929 through 32, when the broad U.S. stock market fell 85%. But those were not,
0: those were, one didn't cause the other. They were sort of, uh, they coexisted with it. Yes. But but again, like we always say, though, that uh, uh, certainty comes with a very high price. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. always going to be some residual risk. And uh, that risk could be inflation, it could be uh, stock market crashing, whatever. So uh, I think people have to assume that uh their plan is has to be flexible enough to deal with some of these things but it's not going to give you a perfect smooth kind of uh path in the future
1: no i think a good plan is really a structure that allows you to know where to make changes in your spending yeah. or savings uh, right. over time and i think all plans uh need to do that it, it seems to me i always i equate what's going on in this weird economy is more of a short squeeze in other words, yeah. there's just not enough stuff. Thing, certain things getting produced, and there's right. more demand for them, and there's kind of the shortage. Well, and, and drive the squeeze is prices.
0: exacerbated by government policy that makes it uh, not necessarily that uh, good an idea for some people to come back to work. Plus, the, the people we talked about who may decide to retire. So, it's, yeah. a squeeze is probably even tighter than most times. Yeah,
1: and so to me, it always gets back to in the last minute. It's always controlling what it is you can control. You can't control what the markets are going to do. Uh, but what you can do is prepare yourself as to what you will do under certain types of environments and certain case of bad events that just seem to happen. Uh, inflation to me is just one of the many risks and uncertainties that we face as investors, which is why it's always valuable to have a framework and a financial plan that, that can allow, can kind of pinpoint, uh, pinpoint makes it sound too precise that can give you a really good concept and guideline of, hey, where do we need to invest some more in stocks versus bonds, or where do we need to cool our spending a little bit temporarily for a while, or, or if we're still accumulating, do we need to add more sat- assets and spend a little less over the next few years? Um, okay, I think we covered quite a few things today. I, I hope people enjoyed it. Um, we're going to be back, is it two or three weeks? Anyway, the second Tuesday in July, we'll be back. Thanks, Dr. Fred Gertz, and thanks, thanks. Ryan Repko. We'll be back. But more of Paul Rudy's On the Money in July, second Tuesday. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks.
0: Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign Urbana.